Go wild with Nation Gear's end of regular season merch madness sale. Nation Gear is offering our favorite fans 20% off all regular season merch. And we're going to give you free shipping on any orders over $200. Stock up your closet for the playoffs. Rep your team and grab that merch you've been eyeing up all season long. Don't wait. This sale only lasts from April 1st until April 7th. Shop the sale at nationgear.ca. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Puck Poolies. And this, Stephen, Stephen Ellis, of course, with me as always, Matt Larkin here. But Stephen, this is our last episode of the hockey calendar, if you will, before we take a little break. So there's going to be a little bit of sadness here before we take our little mini, just mini summer break. And also, maybe this is going to be the last episode that's thrown out there on Twitter, according to all the people panicking on social media. And now what is it? Threads? Is it blue sky? Personally, I think it's all BS. People said that about Mastodon, and we never end up leaving Twitter. What do you think? Is it real? I thought Mastodon was pretty garbage from the, the get-go, and then there was posts and all these other ones that didn't really work. These two like, might have some actual traction to it. Blue Sky, you know, having a lot of money behind it, being created by the former Twitter CEO. The issue is it feels like just like Twitter. There's nothing new to it, and it's just missing features. So there's that. And then there's Threads, which is... Also missing a ton of features like direct messaging, and it just feels like a reskin of everything. And there's just a lot of issues with it already. So they both should be able to take some some space away from other places. But Twitter's not going anywhere because even though it's broken right now, it's still the best around, and that's the unfortunate reality. Plus, I think a lot of people are going to be like, "Dang, I already have these big followings. Why do I want to start all over again?" So yeah. that's how I see it. That's how I see it too. And also, I've heard that. If you're on threads and then you try to delete your threads account, it makes you delete your Instagram as well. So that's pretty devastating. Not if you deactivate, you can, you can deactivate just your, your threads account. But at this point, what's the point of having an Instagram and thread? Like Instagram to me is the most pointless social media of all time. Like you can literally post pictures on every other platform. Why do you need one dedicated to that? Like you could literally just do that anywhere. And like threads is kind of the same idea. It feels like an Instagram comment section, especially how it's completely out of order. You'll see it one post eight hours ago, and then one that's one hour ago, and then one that's four hours ago, like in a row. It's like that's not right. And then you don't follow any of those people too. It's like it's already kind of stupid. Yeah, I saw the best comment I've seen is someone said it looks like the fake social media in like be a pro mode in every every sports video, <laughs> which is so. So accurate. I love it. It's perfect. Uh, but let's let's dive into it, Steven. So we're back from Nashville. We survived our trip. We ate a lot of good hot food, all that kind of stuff. Steven did some go-karting. We saw a lot of live music. It was lots of fun. But we're back. And now what we're looking at is the fallout of free agency. So before we ride off into the sunset for a few weeks, we want to look at how fantasy values of certain players changed. So I'm ready to get started, Stephen, if you are. 
All right, we'll start with our risers, of course. And uh, the first one we got to go with is Tyler Bertuzzi going to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi, there might be some people out there who perceive it as a lateral move because he was already playing on a really good team with the Boston Bruins and producing. But to me, it's the money he's receiving that's locking him into a, a major role. So people forget with the Bruins, he was spending a lot of time on the third line until injuries sort of made them juggle the lineup a little bit, right? Uh, but with the Leafs at the AAV, $5 million plus, he's going to be playing with some combination of Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner or John Tavares and for now, William Nylander. Either way, we know he's going to be playing with some of the highest skill line mates he's ever had. And I don't see him falling out of that top six. So I think he has a chance to post career numbers this season. And it's a contract year, one-year deal. So he's motivated to score a big deal with that cap going up next summer. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about Bertuzzi is he's like a legitimate proven like points producer and, you know, going to Toronto where with all due respect to Michael Bunting, like Michael Bunting, when he wasn't playing with the star elite talent of the Leafs team was not as good as he should be. And with with Bertuzzi, he we know he can already do that. So going in there and he's going to be challenging for a lot of ice time in Toronto. We obviously said that it is interesting, though, between him and Max Domi signing very short term deals. Um what is this term? What is this team's long term outlook here? Are, are they like, if they don't, it doesn't work this year, are they going to blow things up? That's the sign it gets to me. But, you know, if this is the year they're all going to go all in, basically getting these big players in one year deals, maybe that this means that this could be beneficial for all the parties involved. So I like that one for sure. Now, a former Toronto Maple Leafs, because, you know, got to make everything Leafs, of course. Uh, that's a joke. Uh, Connor Brown. Yeah, Connor Brown, definitely one of the biggest steals of july 1st because of that performance bonus laden contract his cap hit is pretty much nothing because of the fact that he spent more than 100 days on ltir it triggers the capability to sign him to one of those deals that typically would be reserved for a player 35 or older so you can get him in a nothing cap hit and there's still potential for him to earn up to i think it's something like four million dollars and He's probably going to get a, an extended look on that first line. He has the chemistry with Connor McDavid going back to their days with the Erie Otters and Connor Brown really lit it up playing with McDavid. So it would be silly for them to not see if that chemistry is still there. We know he's going to get a chance with McDavid or it could be Leon Dreisaitl. Either way, I think Connor Brown, there's a big opportunity because the Oilers, they've struggled to fill that right wing spot. Kylo Yamamoto wasn't the guy. Yessi Pugliarvi wasn't the guy. So we're going to see Connor Brown get the biggest opportunity of his career. He's a solid player already, 16 goals, 40 points per 82 games in his career. Also very dangerous shorthanded. So we're going to see him play in many different situations. And I think it's going to be a fun guy to draft as sort of one of your mid to late round sleepers. I'm excited just to see him bounce back after, you know, all the kind of just the last couple of years as a talented player that just needs to get that ice time and the salary incentive is there too to to really perform and, and to stay healthy. Not like there's any incentive to score and stay healthy, but now it's like this could be how you make your money this year with the salary bonuses. I like that one. Uh, next one, Matt Duchesne, uh, you know, the one of the top pro, or top uh, guys moving this year. Nashville Predators bought him out, going to Dallas Stars. The, the rich keep getting richer. Yeah, Matt Duchesne to me is is a fun addition for the Dallas Stars. He's a versatile piece. And it's funny, he's a, a year older than Tyler Sagan. He was drafted in 09. Tyler Sagan was drafted in 2010. But it feels like Duchesne is younger. His body, I would argue, is younger. He's got fresher legs, better speed. So I could see Duchesne leapfrogging Tyler Sagan and taking his spot in a number two center role. That said, you could also see Wyatt Johnston elevate to the number two center, and Matt Duchesne has shown the ability to play the wing in recent seasons as well. He played a lot of right wing the year that he had two seasons ago, or the season before this one, which was his career year, 43 goals, 86 points, not far removed from such a good year. And this Dallas team has some of the most talent he's ever played with in his career. So I think there's a really nice bounce back setup here for Matt Duchesne. A lot less pressure on him, playing for only $3 million. And at worst, he's going to be in that top nine, but I think you'll see him move all around the top nine. He'll get looks on every line, power play, all that stuff. So I like Matt Duchesne for a nice bounce back. He's someone I usually avoid in fantasy, but this year I'm actually going to be buying. Yeah, he still produced a lot of points. It just wasn't worth the contract. And that was just a simple fact. And um, at the current price, he's going to be going there on a team as good as that. You know, it's kind of like for Dallas, you know, the depth was a nice 
bonus, but now they got a big depth piece. Well, I don't want to say big depth piece because they'll probably play high in the lineup, but another scoring piece, and they didn't really have to give up anything to get it. Like that's a good sign there for for the Dallas Stars. Another fantastic, I will call this one a depth piece though, is Jonathan Druin going to Colorado. May get a chance to play with his old buddy McKinnon. To be fair, you know. That was a very long time ago. I don't expect them to play together right away. It'd be cool to see a preseason game just to see that connection and see if there is something there. But uh, Jonathan Drew and going to Colorado. Yeah. And hey, it's possible that this signing ends up being a bust and Jonathan Duran is finished being an effective NHLer. Yes. But that said, he's only 28 years old. He obviously has that past history with his very good buddy, Nathan McKinnon, going back to their days in Halifax. Also, this is really important. Nathan McKinnon was the one who recruited Jonathan Durant to sign with the Colorado Avalanche. He wants him there. He wants him to play with him. The Avalanche already, the Avalanche brass, they've already discussed the idea of how it would be silly not to give them a look together to see what they have. So we do know already that Jonathan Durant is going to get a shot with Nathan McKinnon and maybe Miko Rantanen. In terms of just line mates, Jonathan Durant has never had anything like that in his career. I guess maybe in his early Tampa Bay days, but just in terms of superstars in their prime, this is an incredible situation for Durant to land in. So to me, why he's exciting is, yes, it's possible he goes bust, but there's no risk. He's not going to cost that much in fantasy draft. He's probably going to be selected outside the top 200 picks. That's a fun flyer to me. So I, I, I see a definite rise in his fantasy value for now. I love that one a lot. Another guy that I'd really like there, Blake Wheeler. Another one where I'm surprised he like, you know, with, with his salary with the, with the buyout of how much money he's making he didn't need a huge salary but for him to go for what was it eight hundred thousand dollars was like a little ridiculous that he didn't go higher than that that's right and with the cap it being so small there is a mini pitfall there in the sense that if wheeler's not working out they could drop him lower in the lineup fair but overall if you look at the way the rangers the team's being constructed they've been looking for help at the right wing for a long time they brought in of course tarasenko and kane last year it didn't really work out for either guy tarasenko had his moments but overall i think both those trades were kind of yeah, they landed closer on the bust side we also know that Capococco has not been able to elevate into the top six consistently so that kid line with Lafreniere Phil Pedel is sort of locked in as the third line which means there's still opportunity to climb in terms of having a big role in the top six for Blake Wheeler so to me we're either going to see him play with Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad or Artemi Panera and Vincent Trocek so I like the situation there yes Blake Wheeler consistently had good line mates in Winnipeg but this is also just a new situation, a chance to win, a nice move from a motivation standpoint for someone who it seems like he had sort of not checked out, but sort of lost the joy for the game in Winnipeg. And still quietly, even 36 years old, averaging 71 points per 82 games over the last three seasons. So Blake Wheeler's not done being a productive NHL player, and I like the situation he's landed in with the Rangers. People were calling him finished, done, you know, like it's over, like maybe in the sense of him going and competing for 75, 80 points a year. But Blake Wheeler's not a bad hockey player. Like that's yeah. just the reality here. You know, he's he's yeah, he might be 325 years old at this point, but he's still pretty good at that. And he's still quite effective. It just he needed to change the scenery regardless of like salary cap or whatever. He needed to get out of Winnipeg. He got it. Let's see what happens now on a very competitive team. John Klingberg, uh, who, you know. Last year, signed a, a prove himself contract to see what he's able to do. And the only thing that did was uh, hurt his cap hit. And uh, he's going to make it a bit less money going to Toronto. But he's got an opportunity to really revive his career here and really kind of set, like, be a huge contributor to a team that everyone expects each year to do really well. They fall short in the playoffs. But, you know, going out there and they lost guys like Justin Hall. They, they lost guys like Rasmus Sandin a while back. They lost Eric Gustafson. So they've lost some key pieces there. In theory, Klingberg can be a step up, but will he? Yeah, so the disclaimer here is that we're talking fantasy hockey risers, not real hockey yes. risers. So I'm very worried about John Klingberg in real life. If you look at the way Jake Gardner was run out of town and Justin Hall, John Klingberg has been atrocious defensively in his last season or two. I'm extremely concerned that he's going to be the new scapegoat, and I don't see how Toronto is a fit for someone who seems to have lost his confidence. I don't get it for Klingberg. I'm very worried about him. Uh, but from a fantasy perspective, he's landing on a much better offensive team than the Ducks and the Minnesota Wild. He's going to have a lot of talent around him. He can still move the puck. His offensive ability is still there, and I think it's possible you see him get looks if the Leafs end up trying to change things up on their power play. Maybe he gets a little look on the top unit 
at least the second unit, even at even strength, he's going to have a lot of skill players around him. So I do think we're going to see a nice spike in fantasy value from John Klingberg. I could easily see him being a 40-point player this season. Not to the heyday where he was the top 10 fantasy defenseman for his entire prime, pretty much. But I think just back to being fantasy relevant, rosterable in medium leagues, I, we, I think we can expect that from John Klingberg. That said, defensively, oh man, it's going to be ugly, I think. It's seeing some charts and seeing that uh, people were really valuing Eric Gustafson a bit more. A guy who very notably in his career is not great defensively is a sign that, uh-oh. But we'll see. I think this is someone who, you know, he's... He's going to have some good, if he plays in the power play, he's going to have some good guys to pass to. Regardless, he should have some good guys to pass to this year. So uh, we'll see how that works for his fantasy value. Cam Talbot. And uh, okay, well, that's an interesting one. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's funny. The last few guys on our risers list, like I'm, I'm not going to sound super enthusiastic. It's like we're <laughs> grudging risers, but hey. So Cam Talbot, it's like, okay, yeah, his value went up. I don't necessarily love the signing for LA. I thought they aimed too low. I thought they had a real chance to solidify themselves as an elite Stanley Cup contender if they went out and got someone like a Connor Hellebuck or Thatcher Demko. Talbot, eh, he's better than Phoenix Copley. He's better than David Riddick, who they also signed. So I think he has the inside track to be the starting goaltender on a good team. So that in and of itself constitutes a nice jump in cam Talbot's fantasy value it's the best opportunity he's had at the very least since he was in minnesota and even then you know he was battling mark under flurry i think he has the leg up on copley so in my opinion this is a a jump for value for cam Talbot. i know copley showed a lot last season but again he's a journeyman he's already older than 30 years old i think he's 30 or 31 the last i checked so he's not as young as people think we already know who he is, I think, at this point. So I like Cam Talbot to get the lion's share of the starts for L.A. this year. I, I, this is, I think, a given, but I'm concerned about this team's goaltending situation considering, you know, they went all in on centermen and, and, and going everything with the roster they have this year. It's a competitive group, and they got Cam Talbot as their goalie? Really? Yeah. I don't, know. I don't love that one. But the guy he did replace, Jonas Corposalo. Yeah, again, this is another begrudging one. I, I don't know if I love the signing for Ottawa five years at $4 million a year. It kind of reminds me of the Matt Murray deal that they signed a few years back that turned out to be disastrous. That said, again, if we're just looking at the value they gave him, $4 million a year. So that's definitely 1A starter-ish money. So now we know that Corpusallo is locked in to a starting role on a team that wants to make the playoffs, on a team that seems to be getting better on paper every year. And that gives him significant fantasy value on a team that I think at worst Ottawa is a top 20 team in the league, maybe top 18 with upside to be better than that. Corpusalo looked much better this past season with a healthy hip. And I think now that he has stability in his role in goaltending and fantasy stability is so important. You want that volume because the overall performance can be so fickle year to year when you're drafting, what you're looking for are guys that have locked in roles that are going to play a significant number of games. So Corpusalo right now, his floor is probably 45 starts with the Senators this year. I got to say that this is not the first time that Cam Talbot was uh, involved in like a free agency trade with the goalie where, you know, he was a goalie in Ottawa. Corpusal was a goalie in LA. They switch. It was Talbot and Mike Smith also did the same thing between Edmonton and Calgary. So I thought that was maybe I was the only one who cared. I just find and that then wasn't and, and Philip Gustafson last year too, but it wasn't free agency. It was just an actual, uh, that, that was a, that was a legitimate trade. So yeah. there's that one. So, but uh, it's like he, he likes to swap with guys. Uh, so, all right, that's the risers. Let's go have some fun and start looking at the fallers from NHL free agency, starting off with one of the more head scratching contracts, I think. JT Comfer. Yeah, JT Comfer. We knew he was going to get significant money and significant term because it was such a weak market and he's a really strong two way center. So I'm not surprised that he got the deal he did from the Detroit Red Wings. But if we look at the fantasy value there, the linemate quality for him, you just can't you can't match what he had in Colorado. He played almost all this past season with Miko Rantanen. And of course, JT Comfort had his best offensive numbers. If you're not playing with Miko Rantanen, it's pretty much almost guaranteed to be a downgrade, whoever you're playing with. So just that alone doesn't matter what the possible permutations of wingers are. You know, David Perron, Lucas Raymond, doesn't matter. It's not Miko Rantanen. So value yeah. goes down based on the company he's keeping in Detroit. Yeah, all right. I agree with that one. Anthony Duclair involved in a trade. Yeah, I think this is a bit of a trap. So 
I think some people out there might think, hey, Anthony Duclair gets traded to the Sharks. He's going to have a bigger role there, which could actually increase his fantasy value. He's further removed from that Achilles injury that limited him to start or for much of last season. But again, it's linemate quality. The Sharks are a terrible team. And the options to play with, you know, maybe you get Thomas Hurdle as your center, Logan Couture, but Duclair's linemates were... Alexander Barkov and Carter Verhaeg. So you're not playing with players of that caliber, no matter what the scenario is going to be in San Jose. So similar to JD Comfer, it's just a downgrade no matter what. Anthony Duclair will have weaker line mates, period. Yeah, that one, don't love that one, but they, they need the, for Florida, it makes sense. For San Jose, it also makes sense. But from a fantasy value, I, I, I'm, I'm unfortunately having to knock Duclair off my list every year. Uh, going forward, I should say. Uh, Max Pacioretty. Now, this one, I think, was a bit of an interesting one. Yeah, that was one of the weirder signings for me, just in the sense I didn't see Pacioretty picking the Capitals as his team. They're sort of a team in decline, and obviously they have an elite top-line left winger already in Alex Ovechkin, so it just limits the possibility of what you can do with Pacioretty. Yes, Ovi plays the point on the power play, so you could see Pacioretty getting some PP one time. So I think he's still going to have value, but I don't like the idea that he's blocked by Ovechkin. It limits his ceiling because we know that Pacioretty is going to be, at best, a second-line player. So does that mean you're playing with Nicholas Backstrom, who's aging, Evgeny Kuznetsov, who has been inconsistent? Maybe it's Dylan Strom, who, again, is not like a super high-ceiling center. So overall, I just think there were better situations that Pacioretty could have landed in. Um, so... I, I see it being a slight downgrade. I still think a healthy Pacioretty gets 25 goals, but I don't think we're looking at 35 goals based on the situation and the declining team. Yeah, it's like two years ago, this would have been a great, great move. But, you know, after for going from Vegas, where the team was competitive, they missed the playoffs, but win the Stanley Cup after trading him. Goes to Carolina, everyone's kind of expecting big things. Going to Washington, that feels like a step down, you know might be able to play a still a pretty solid role. We should, we expect that, but he also has to stay healthy. I think at this point, it's just a buyer beware, no matter what, where he goes just because of his injury history. So um, there's that, uh, I guess his former, we'll, we'll go to his former Carolina hurricanes teammate of about five seconds, Piotr Kochekov, one of your favorite players and might be like top five player. We mentioned on this show so far uh, in the history of the Buck Willies. Yeah. If anyone's watching, you can see I'm making a pouty face right now, but if you're listening, yeah. I'll tell you, I'm making a pouty face because come on, Carolina, what are you doing? You're paying him 2 million a year for four more years. And you just keep blocking the young man. Who's a good goaltender. He was one of the better rookie goalies in the league. He proved himself in the playoffs the season before, and you just won't let him play for you. Stop it. Uh, as my daughters would say. Okay. But here they are. They've brought back Frederick Anderson and Auntie Ranta they're running it back because they understand Kachekov is still waiver exempt. You can still bounce him back and forth between the NHL and the minors. I'm sure he'll still get opportunities this year based on the injury history of Anderson Ranta, and that's that's the design, clearly, in Carolina. They want to be three deep. It pays to be three deep, or as Vegas showed us, five deep at goaltender in the modern NHL. But just for fantasy value, he was someone I was really excited about as a sleeper going into next season, and now the fantasy value is dead. He's dead. He will not be ranked in my top 300 in pretty much any scenario unless there's an off-season training injury for Anderson or Ranta at this point. Which is very likely at this point. I guess the one thing they may have done is they may have looked at natural stat trick and looked at Kochekov's uh, numbers last year and said, yeah, he got us a bunch of wins. His uh, advanced stats were uh, closer to what we would expect from Matt Murray, Craig Anderson, and uh, um, Cal Peterson. So... Interesting. Could also be looking, they could be looking at that. Unfortunately, as good, as good as he's been in some of those games, his advanced numbers are not great. And, you know, I would, because I was confused too. And maybe they're just not ready to give a guy who, you know, actually had a minus uh, goal saved above average last year. But we'll see. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't agree with them springing back both Ranta and Anderson. That seemed like the perfect opportunity to let Anti Ranta go. But I don't know. I don't get that one either. Uh, all right. Next one Frank Fertrano. Yeah, this is a weird one. Why Why am I talking about Frank Vitrano? He's not that relevant. Yeah, well, yeah exactly. He's going to be even less relevant. This is a guy <laughs> who I think was one of the more underrated sources of goals just in really deep leagues. He had 21 goals last year. But with Alex Kalorn coming in and Adam Monrique is still there, who's been playing left wing primarily with Trevor Zegers, well, Kalorn at that AAV, 6.25 million, he's guaranteed to be playing in the top six. So Frank Vitrano, I believe, will be pushed out of the top six more likely be playing a bottom six role and that will make him irrelevant in fantasy. So that's someone who takes a hit for sure. 
Yep. Next one, Jason Zucker, uh, one that finally had a bit of a rebound year last year. He had four, almost 50 points, almost 30 goals for the Penguins. Uh, the first time he kind of came close to that in basically about since 2018 uh, when he was with Minnesota. But now he's going to Arizona. So there's that. Yeah, this is going to hurt our buddy Mike Gold's feelings. And to be clear, Mike, if you're listening, Mike, our, our, our buddy writer at Daily Faceoff, uh, I'm not saying that it's a bad move for the Arizona Coyotes. I think Jason Zucker was a good get, but just for Zucker's value, because Clayton Keller has been playing on the wing and Nick Schmaltz has too, Barrett Hayton was playing some center. That first line was really cooking for the second half last year. I feel like it's pretty much locked in place going into this year. So who is Jason Zucker going to be playing with? I think he's going to move down to the second line. Is he going to be playing with like Travis Boyd as his center? Is he going to be playing on a line with Alex Kerfoot? When he's used to playing primarily with guys like Evgeny Malkin, I just think, again, you're seeing probably a, a pattern here when I'm saying followers, but it's the change in line mate quality is what causes the drop in value. So, And and not just temporary. It's more just looking at the setup and thinking, is there a scenario in which Jason Zucker suddenly is the top line left winger? I don't think so because, again, that's Clayton Keller. So I just think the floor – or sorry, the ceiling rather for him has lowered. Yeah, no, I can't argue there. Uh Connor Hellebuck, the guy that uh, everyone's kind of expected to be traded at some point. He's not. Yeah, so this is a think outside the box one, right? So Connor Hellebuck seemed very likely to be traded. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A couple, couple weeks back. And now we're getting a little deeper into the offseason. And it's like, okay, well, the Penguins signed Tristan Jari. Uh, LA signed Cam Talbot. Ottawa signed Corpus Allo. The Devils maybe are still lingering out there, but in terms of the possible landing spots for Hellebuck, they are definitely starting to dwindle. And that presents a scenario in which we could see Hellebuck staying with the Jets and a weakened Jets team that traded Pierre-Luc Dubois and bought out Blake Wheeler. And it's like, oh no, is that what we're going to get next year? Connor Hellebuck just hanging out on a weaker Jets team? So to me, that could actually bring his value down when he... I was expecting him to, to experience a nice jump in fantasy value, maybe be a top five fantasy goalie next year. I don't know if that'll be the case if he's playing on one of the weaker Jets teams of his career. So it's a little disappointing. And I think the odds of a trade have gone way down just, just based on the fact there are fewer suitors for him. Yeah, and it makes him way harder to trade him in season. So it's kind of like if you're not doing it now, what are you, you going to do there? So there's that problem. All right. So that's it for the, the risers and fallers. So are you ready to do a tip of the week? Yes, the tip of the week. So I've hinted at this uh, a little bit as we were discussing the risers and fallers, but I've said this a lot in the context of fantasy hockey over the years. And it's that money talks when people are wondering, they're thinking this player is not going to stay on this line. This player is going to stay on this line. I always say, look at the contract. The contract determines a lot because there's a sort of sunk cost fallacy where a team invests a certain amount of money in a player and they're committed because they don't want to be wrong. It's almost a pride thing for the general manager. So an example being Alex Kalorn, $6.25 million. A lot of us did not like that contract. I don't think it's going to age well. It's going to pay him like until he's almost 40 years old, right? But again, now that Pat Verbeek has spent that money, he ain't burying Alex Kalorn on a low scoring line. We know he's going to be mm -hmm. playing in the top six all year long at that AAV just because 
it's you can't you if you pay a player that much money you're just not going to bury him you're going to look like an idiot right if you're pat verbeek so that's an example of alex Kalorn is going to be maligned in fantasy but i don't think his floor is going to be as low as people think because we know he's going to get opportunities playing with good players just based on how much money they're paying him on the flip side when you see a prominent player not getting that much money i think it takes the pressure off the team to play him high in the lineup so max Domi would be the example three million dollars for one year I don't think that's first line money. It's not even necessarily second line money. And you have Matthew Nyes knocking on the door who could establish himself as a left winger in the top six. I don't think it's inconceivable. You see Max Domi slide down to the third line in Toronto. So that's the reverse example where someone might be overvalued because he goes to a high profile team, but the AAV tells us mm, they don't, I don't think they're, they're feeling like they have to keep him high in the lineup to satisfy him. They're not paying him first line money. So pay attention to players cap hits. When you're trying to break ties or predict where someone will be in the lineup, the money will tell you the plans often. Yeah. Also worth noting when when a guy is on a league minimum deal or or like an ELC or something like that, a player like that might also, even if they're having a good streak in the NHL, might just be sent down to the to the minors just because they're waiver exempt. We just talked about a goalie who's just like that situation there. So sometimes you got to also be careful about the guys who are making low amount of money who are on those those deals that can be sent down easily on waivers and that are on these hot streaks. It's just like, when will that run out? So there's also that. Yeah, exactly. You see examples of that every year when teams are in cap crunches and they have no choice but to send down even a decent player who just has that waiver exemption. So you have to watch out for that too. Very good example. So, all right. This time to do best bets. And I guess considering there's not a lot of hockey being played, you know, I say that as, you know, I'm watching all these prospect tournament or prospect uh, development camp scrimmages and getting ready to watch Helenka Gretzky and all that stuff. But there's no real professional hockey being played right now. So I guess it's time to do a futures bet. Futures bet. Yeah, I'm like taking an early look at the offseason. Uh, I'm not locking this in as my official Stanley Cup pick, but I'm looking at the odds. The Devils are last I looked they were you know, they had like the sixth or seventh best Stanley Cup odds. Uh, if you look at Botano, for example, plus 1,100 to win the Stanley Cup, I like that bet. Even though Jack Hughes himself uh, suggested that I pump the brakes because I did talk to him in Nashville and I was saying that, you know, it felt like they were knocking on the door. They already had the third best record in the league. But he was like, hang on. We had the fifth worst record in the league a year before and our window is just opening is what he said. But I still look at what they have already. Top three finished last year. They already got one playoff series win under their belt. They've retained Timo Meyer and Jesper Bratt long-term. They added Tyler Toffoli. You're getting a full season of Luke Hughes. You might get a full season of Simon Namich, who we'll talk about later on the show. All they need is just that goalie upgrade, but they're, to me, looking really stacked top to bottom. And it's not like their goaltending was terrible last year. Vitek Vanacek was pretty good for much of the year. Akir Schmidt had his moments. They were still like league average goaltending, at least. Uh, so I don't know. I'm getting a big feeling about the Devils especially if they can if they can find that upgrade but even if they don't i think they have a chance to go really far they're just starting their window as jack you said but they're just so talented and deep so i like that as a futures swing for the 2024 stanley cup and just like what well, we'll talk about one of their their young defensemen coming up but it's just like this team just looks more dangerous than they did a year ago Outside of the questions in net, but it's like you're throwing in Luke Hughes. Uh, Simon Nemitz should be able to challenge for a roster spot there. And, you know, I, I thought Siegenthaler had a really good end of the year at the uh, the World Championship. And you know, another year of Hughes, another guy like, that, like this is a team that's going to be quite dangerous. So a full healthy season of Andre Platt will be nice. Uh, I, I, I can't say I hate that pick. Yeah, yeah. Okay, buddy. Well, now let's move on to prospect report and there's someone you have on the mind we saw him of course last week in nashville the third overall pick and his situation has since changed so we knew that there was a strong possibility of him turning pro as gm yarmo kekalainen basically said we want him to we think he's ready and lo and behold july 1st adam fantilli signs his entry-level deal so what are you thinking about him right now and what are your expectations yeah, so I guess for what it's worth, I fully expected him no matter what to be going pro. Uh, just from rumblings I heard, it was kind of just like he was waiting till the draft to finally have that conversation with the team and say, like, what is the plan here? Whether it be Anaheim, whether it be Columbus, or heck, if he fell to San Jose, I think he was going to be challenging for a roster spot no matter what. So I like that. This is a guy who's going to a team here in Columbus with a, a pretty solid 
future, I think. They've got some really good young guys. They've got some good veterans. This is a team that took steps heading into the draft, heading into free agency to, to get who they wanted right away. Because you notice they've been very quiet actually in free agency, but those those pickups of Severson and Proveroff make their blue line much more difficult to play against. And they got David Irichek coming in. And, you know, it's like this is going to be a stronger team. So does Fantilli all automatically fight for that number one center spot? I think he will. Because while Columbus is expected to take, you know, steps up this year, they can't do much worse than they did this year. They still have an opportunity here where, you know, there's still not a lot of pressure. A lot of people aren't still picking them to be a playoff contender, let alone anything more than that. So for them, they can take the time to give them the opportunities to learn from guys like Johnny Goudreau, to learn from those veterans there and get the opportunities to score. You know, guys like Kent Johnson might have other things to say about there. There are, again, some other guys that have already been in the system ready to take that next step. But I think with Fantilli, this is a chance for him to become the first true superstar the Columbus Blue Jackets ever had. Sorry, fans. Rick Nash is not a, was never a superstar. A very, very dang good hockey player. But I'm thinking superstar, not one of the best players in the league for most of his career. Had some great years, obviously. But with Fantilli, I think that he's going to just turn this team around. Like this guy is a completely built different player watching what he was able to do against college last year. He could have been playing pro like simple as that. And we saw that the world championship once he got comfortable was actually one of Canada's better players. So uh, I really like that there. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But uh, I think, you know, uh, I'd be betting high on Toffoli right now. Obviously, not too high in the draft. He's maybe a late round sleeper guy, but someone that given the opportunity here in Columbus to play a big role, I'd be betting on. Yeah, I think you're right. And I even asked Yarmo Kicklin uh, after he made the pick, you know, where he could see Fantilli playing. And he, the way he put it was like, Adam is not a checker. That's not what the role he's yeah. ever played in his career. We're not going to waste him putting him on, on a line like that. So he pretty much guaranteed that we're going to see him in a prominent role immediately. So I think everything you're saying is, is bang on there. Uh, we're going to keep the talk going with some prospect stuff because that's the first question I think we have, but, uh, let's move on to our listener question, Steven, and tell me what, uh, what you got in the pot here. All right. The first question, I'm assuming it's Jean or Jean, uh, constant. I apologize if I said incorrectly. Um, is Simon Nemich going to play in New Jersey this season? I say, yes. What do you say? I do too. And I think the trading of Damon Severson was crucial because Simon Nemich is a righty shot. So is Damon Severson. And yes, we have John Marino and Dougie Hamilton in that lineup, but that means great insulation defensively as well. And I think Namich, all he has to do is beat out right now on paper, Brendan Smith, someone like that, <laughs> to play in the third pair. Uh, and it's crucial that he got a full AHL season already under his belt. So it's not like he's been marinating uh, overseas, as Steven's cat, if anyone's watching, Steven's cat is now taking over the screen. <laughs> Uh, all I see is cat now. It looks like a Royale uh, commercial over there. I can sneeze just looking at it. Uh, but yeah, that the fact that he's already been in North America and played a full season, had I think 12 goals uh, from the point in the AHL, played in the playoff series as well. Crucial experience. So I definitely expect him to earn a job out of camp, which is really exciting. You're going to have Luke Hughes and I believe Simon Nemich in the lineup on opening night. I'm willing to make that prediction. I full agree, and apparently Blue does too, because she was meowing when she came up to say that. But uh, just the way he we saw Nimich play last year in the AHL, like this is a guy that's ready to take that next step. Thirty four points in sixty five games is no slouch of a offensive production there. And I thought he looked just so much more mature at the World Championship this year than he did a year ago. And last year, very big offensive production. Uh, he had almost a point per game as a defenseman, an underage defenseman. This year was a bit of a different situation because Slovakia just could not score. Um, but I thought he looked great, especially in his own zone. So this is someone who took big steps in his game this year. Brandon Smith played forward in the past. Like, could they just put him there if they needed to? Um, you know, just with the with, like, you don't want to put too much. If you're a competitive team, you don't want to give all your young guys all this opportunity because that is a bit risky. I just think when it comes to Luke Hughes and Simon Nemich, you got to throw them both in. Hughes, we already know, is pretty much a lock. Nemich should be a lock. So uh, I like what the Devils are going to be doing there. Next one comes from a guy we're very familiar with, Naftali Clinton, who works with us. Uh, realistically, how many goals will Vladimir Tarasenko score this year? I guess it's worth knowing at the time of recording this, we don't know where he's going. His He just fired his agents, got a new agency, and the Carolina Hurricanes PR people were saying like, hey, when a deal is happening, we'll announce it. So, again, we don't know where he's going, but he's been linked to the Hurricanes, among other teams. Yeah, exactly. So, 
that does have to be the qualifier we give to the question off the hop. Just how many goals he scores, it will depend on where he goes. Uh, but it's worth noting he's just a year removed from a career high in points, 82 points. Mm-hmm. It feels like that was longer ago, but no, that was the 2021-22 season. So he still has plenty left in the tank. I think no matter where he goes, even if he ended up on a rebuilder, it sounds like he's had lots of different offers, different AAVs, terms from all different types of teams, but even on a bad team, I still think he has the talent to score 25 goals. Uh, as for hitting a higher number, that element will depend on where he goes, uh, I'm not too worried about the fact that he had a down year this year. I think he was out of rhythm getting traded. You know, he's only played for one team his whole career. It was a big change going to the Rangers. He still had his moments, but overall, it wasn't a great year for him. I don't think that means that he's completely in decline. I think he still has 25 goals in his stick, and I think that's a safe prediction. I'd say 25 is a good over-under for Tarasenko. Yeah, like he's had all his injury issues There was all the stuff in St. Louis, but him not wanting to be there. And then last year, you can't really chalk up a lot of that to him. Like the blues were not a good team. He did get hurt. And then obviously everything with uh, getting traded there didn't to the Rangers didn't really work out. I'm still a believer in Tarasenko. I think he's got some more good years in it. It's, it's kind of strange because usually when Tarasenko would be a free agent, if let's say he was a free agent two years, a couple years ago, like would be one of the biggest names this year. He's one of the biggest names, but there's not a lot of hype for it. I think because of the weak free agent class and because it feels like all the GMs like went on vacation on the second day of free agency. So there's that too, which by the way, when you cover free agency compared to when you watch free agency, it's totally different things. It's kind of nice when everyone goes away. However, Hard to write about when every signing that day is a league minimum deal, but there's that. So, uh, all right. Last question here. And uh, it's, I believe it's from Jerry Oakland Seals. I actually forgot to write down the name, but hello, Matt Steven. Uh, is this arrival of Wheeler in New York? No, with the arrival of Wheeler in New York, will impact Lafreniere, Kako, Tom, and Ice? Still hoping they will break out. Who of Johansson, Druin, Lekkinen, Nichushkin will be more fantasy relevant in 23 24? Thanks. Can't wait to read Matt's top 250 fantasy players, 2023, 24. So I guess the first question there is kind of about the, the ice time there for Lafreniere and Kako. Yeah. Okay. And thanks. Thanks, Jerry. And and just to note, Jerry, it'll be a top 300, not just top 250. I'll get started on that in a couple of weeks. Um, so, and I referenced this a little bit already on the show, but Kako and Lafreniere, I still think they're going to remain blocked. The Rangers do have to add one more right winger though. Otherwise, otherwise you could see one of them, like Kako, I guess, is the more default right winger because Lafreniere plays the left traditionally. So Kako could be the one that rises, but I do think the Rangers are going to still fill that spot. And it just seems like that kid line is the third line is locked in there. So I'm not expecting a major change in either player's value. It seems like they're kind of just settled into that zone. And, and it's not like they're just one year into their careers now. I don't want to call them busts, but I don't think either guy is going to become a superstar at this point uh, unless maybe they get a change of scenery. So I'd say overall, the Wheeler addition is going to block them and that their value is going to stay relatively the same. In terms of the Colorado question, it's interesting. Like Lekkonen and Nishushkin, their values are so similar. It's kind of creepy. Like their stats are so similar. They play almost the same amount of minutes. They move up and down the lineup in the same way. They can both play both either wings. Like it's like they feel like the same guy to me. So I value them almost the same. Durant has really interesting upside, as I already said on the show, but the floor is still absolutely there. He has the most downside. He is most likely of those four to become completely irrelevant. And then Ryan Johansson is just, to me, a boring asset in fantasy. He's a pass-only player, or at least a pass-first, but almost pass-only player. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of other things. He's not super physical. He's just a source of assists, and he's not going to usurp Nathan McKinnon to play on the second line. So I'm not overly excited about him. I'd say value-wise, it's Lekin and Natrushkin are easily tied for the most value. And I, I, I find it really hard to separate one from the other, though, in terms of who's worth more. No, can't disagree there. Um, also worth mentioning, um, Philip Zidian is expected to go on unconditional waivers today. Uh, just to throw one out there, uh, do you see him rebounding to becoming a, a valuable NHLer at any point here? What was the name? I didn't hear the name there. Philip Zadina. Oh, Zadina. Oh, oh man. I was so excited about Philip Zadina. Uh, I really believed he was going to be the next Marion Hossa when he was drafted. I I had rated him number two in the 2018 draft class. But I think the best case scenario is sort of an Ely Tolvanen situation where the right team unlocks him and you do get 20 goals out of him. But I don't think he's ever going to be a star. It just, I think it would have happened by now. 
Yeah, it, I, I'm talking to some people in Detroit. They, Detroit fans still have a belief in him. It's just that's not going to work there. And the fact that, that that's a team that's got to start moving forward. He was supposed to be a big part of that. Joe Valeno, too. Didn't really reach their potential. Zadina, easy to cut, loose there. Um, you know, let's see, uh, let's see how, how if he can bet on himself. And it, it might take a one-year, two-way deal to really prove himself. But he's got to find something here. I, I You don't. You don't get so highly rated as a prospect and then just completely fall off without being like, I, I still believe in guys that were once super highly rated heading into the draft, still being able to do something in the right situation. Granted, you know, looking at where he went in that draft and looking at the stats and all the tools probably was rated too high to begin with. Uh, but I think people just like that. He was able to play against pro at, at an early age, but you know, I'm also concerned about guys like that, like Edward Schale this year as a guy who played against pro and really didn't look great. And I'm a little concerned about him. But uh, when it comes to Zadina, we'll see. Uh, so that's it for the questions. And I guess this is maybe my favorite starting lineup I've ever picked for you. And because we just came from Nashville and because we both went to Hattie B's for um, Nashville hot chicken, which, by the way, you guys don't make hot enough chicken in Nashville. That was a total scam. I got lied to. I got the hottest thing that Hattie B's had, which people were recommending to me. And I'm like, this was not that hot. Um, Steven has so... no sense of smell and taste, by the way. He's cheating. He's juicing. Yes. So that's why. He's yeah. Saying... But we come on. We... But I want to see something hotter than that. Let's see that. But uh, for normal people, people like to eat food when they go on, on trips and like tasty food that's not trying to kill you. So. Your favorite restaurants on the road that you've been to. Go. Okay, I love this one. It made me really hungry when I was thinking about it. Uh, okay, I'll start by disqualifying a couple places that I really do like. So Shake Shack and In-N-Out, those are both chains you can't get in uh, Canada, although Shake Shack is coming. Uh, but I'm not going to qualify them for this exercise because they're not unique to one city. So I wanted to pick options that are specific to the city they're in. Uh, I'm going to also just fire a shot across the bow at one option that I think is overrated. Primanti Brothers in Pittsburgh. Uh, I just found their sandwiches a little bland. I expected a lot because I've heard great things and I wasn't really uh, overly impressed. So the top six. Okay, so number six. Chelsea Market in New York for lobster rolls. And I'm someone who is a bit of a lobster roll aficionado, especially going down to places like Maine where they have the really good stuff. But I think even though it's not a restaurant, I think it's just a great way to spend an afternoon. You walk down to Chelsea Market, you get a delicious lobster roll there that's just absolutely top notch. Haven't done it for several years, so I assume the situation has not changed. Uh, but if that's still the case, then I highly recommend that for a nice little lunch. Uh, number five, Schwartz's Deli in Montreal. This is a place that I stayed away from for a while because I, I used to see the giant lineup and think, well, there's no chance that I can go there. But I didn't understand until relatively recently that the lineup was sitting in, but if you just go in a different door, it's actually moving completely fine just for the takeaway lineup. So if you see that lineup, don't get scared away. There's a quick way to get served there if you take your food out. And they do have that incredible Montreal smoked meat sandwich with a giant pickle. It really does live up to the hype. It's fantastic, super flavorful, delicious. Uh, number four, Gino's East in Chicago. This is the this is the part of the show where I defend deep dish pizza. People say, well, it's like a casserole. Who cares? It's a delicious casserole, so shut up. Just because it's not the pizza that you like doesn't mean it's not something delicious and tasty to eat. You just have to execute it as a veteran. What you do, because they take a long time to make it. You have to go to the restaurant an hour before you're actually hungry. Just hang out, talk to some people. I've had a fun time just talking to locals there, just sitting at the bar. And then an hour later, your pizza comes and there's so much food, you can eat half of it. And then you have lunch for the next day. You can store away for later. So it's just about understanding how to approach the deep dish pizza. And if you respect it for something other than traditional pizza, you'll enjoy it. So stop whining. I don't care if it's a casserole. Shut up. Okay. Number three, Hattie B's Hot Chicken in Nashville. Qualify here is that I have not tried Prince's yet, but Hattie B still meets the hype if you have taste buds and smell, which Stephen does not. Uh, super flavorful. I love they put little, this time This time around I got the sandwich, they put a little pickle on top. Uh, nice little balance of, of juicy chicken, but also a crunch in terms of the breading on the outside. Outstanding. Love the pimento mac and cheese as a side as well. Number two, okay, this one, it's not necessarily known as, you know, we're not talking about Michelin star here, but there's something very special about it. Batista's Hole in the Wall in Las Vegas. And this is a place that has so much character. It's literally in a strip mall. It's been there for, I think, minimum 30 years, as long as I've been alive, maybe 40 years even. Uh, they have the menu on the wall. You can get great things like veal parm. They have unlimited free 
terrible house wine. They even serve the red <laughs> wine cold. So they just put these bottles down at your table, ice cold white, ice cold red, and they just keep serving it and you don't pay for it. It's part of the experience. It's a really kitschy place with the red and white tablecloths, really low ceilings, pictures of celebrities all around the wall. It's a really fun place. I've, I've converted many hockey reporters and taken them there in droves. And now I get DMs. Hey, I'm in Las Vegas. What was the name of that place again? Batista's Hole in the Wall. Number one, Pappy's Smokehouse in St. Louis. Love the barbecue. Beautiful. There. So good. We went there when St. Louis had the All-Star Game, and I think it was 2019, if I remember correctly. 2020. 2020. Oh, 2020. That's right, because it was the year after they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, and the ribs were incredible, and the burnt ends, I think, in particular, were what really stood out is fantastic. Love Pappy's Smokehouse. That's the number one pick. And I think that is it. That is the starting lineup. And now I'm really hungry and need to go get some food. Thank you for that category, Stephen. What do you think of those picks? I, I, love, I see most of them I haven't been to. Uh, a few that I'll throw there is part of the reason why I love going to Michigan for, you know, USA hockey events is uh, being close to Jets Pizza. And uh, I got to give a shout out to Ryan Kennedy. He was the one who got me on that when we went to Traverse City. And just every time I go to Michigan, I got to go there. Also, I'm giving a shout out to Blue, who is currently sitting on my power button on my laptop. So this could go very bad here any second now. Um, and then uh, also another one is, uh, oh, Chefs in Buffalo. Uh, another one I got to give a shout out to Ryan Kennedy for. Um, at first, uh, it, it went. It took me a while before I would try it out there. But when I had it there the first time with uh, with a uh, guy Jared Ostra from the Hockey News, it was like the greatest thing ever. And now I have to go there every single time. So uh, those are the ones I'll give as a special shout out, kind of close enough to driving distance. Okay, and I still haven't tried Chefs, and I know the trademark is you parm a sandwich, so you like encase the sandwich yes. in Parmesan cheese. I do have to try it. I'm excited yeah. to try it sometime, but I have not yet been initiated. Great category, Stephen, and that is the end of this week's episode. And everyone listening and watching, we're going to say a little mini farewell. We're going to take a little bit of time off the show for a few weeks uh, just as we settle into the summer. But we will be back in late July, early August once I release the first edition of the top 300 fantasy rankings. So likely early August, we'll come on, have a brand new episode. We'll kick off the calendar for next season, and we will talk about those rankings. So thanks so much for listening and following us throughout the season. And we're excited to keep bringing you episodes in the season to come. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 